Well, good evening, friends. Thank you for coming out on Christmas Eve to worship, to welcome Jesus, to take communion together. God bless you for coming down here tonight, for joining us online. Thank you for joining us online as well. We come to celebrate the truth that to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulder, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Hark the glad sound, the Saviour comes, let's stand and sing this together. please be seated and can I lead you in prayer let's pray loving God we welcome your coming to us in Jesus tonight through all the ages you have desired to have a close relationship with us draw us into closeness with you tonight we've had busy days but yours has always been a story of connection you burst into our world with the incarnation and your son still bursts into our lives today. So help us to recognize your nearness to us. To be ready for the unexpected interventions of your grace. Catch us by surprise with what you say and do in us and for us and through us. And open our hearts to welcome your presence and your involvement in our lives this Christmas time and in the coming year. Because you are a God of grace and you've connected with us through your son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. So I'm just going to bring us our reading from Isaiah 52.
Isaiah 52, verses 7 to 10. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. Listen, your watchmen lift up their voices, together they shout for joy. When the Lord returns to Zion, they will see it with their own eyes. Burst into songs of joy together, you ruins of Jerusalem. For the Lord has comforted his people, he has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord will lay bare his holy arm in the sight of all the nations, and all the ends of the earth will see the salvation of our God. Three meditations I'd like to share with you tonight. Um, the first is by the German theologian Helmut Tiedeke, and he's written something called The Things That Make for Peace. Jesus Christ reveals the last things to his followers, for he can scan the horizon of history from beginning to end. He sees the twilight of the day, the twilight of life, and the twilight of the world. And in the all-consuming desire of his love, he says, Would that even today you knew the things that make for peace. We, however, do not hear him. We're too wrapped up in our daily work, our life's work, and the world's work. But at the beginning of the war, and that's the Second World War, I stood in the bell tower of St. Catherine's Church in Danzig with a church organist. He sat down at the keyboard of the carillon to play a hymn on the hour. And his mighty proclamation of the gospel rang out over the whole town. The bells beat upon my ears and the sound of their message so filled me that no other sound could intervene. Far below, though, I could see men going on about their business. They were building an air raid shelter. The excavator clattered, pneumatic drills hammered away and traffic surged along. No one looked up to listen to the music that was pounding in my ears and filling me to the brim. What sounded all around us, up above, remained inaudible down there below, amidst the noise of people's daily work. Have we heard the sound that comes from above? We certainly can't stop our machines, nor should we try, but we can pay attention to the sound that filters through our earthly noise. For the air is full of promises, and we lose everything if we fail to hear them. So with those words in mind, can I invite you to join together in singing the carol, It Came Upon the Midnight Clear.
going to pray for our world and in response to my words, eternal God, in your damaged and hurting world, can I invite you to respond by saying, bring your peace. Eternal God, in your damaged and hurting world, bring your peace. Well, we sang the words of that carol. And in our minds are images and reports of devastation in Gaza. People sheltering in ruined churches without food or water and vulnerable to sniper fire. The long war in Ukraine. The violence and unrest in Yemen. Other parts of our world where the angel song just doesn't seem to register or even to be relevant. Yet we pray that where there is violence, you would replace it with your peace. Where there is hatred, you'd bring closure and a readiness not to pursue vengeance. Eternal God, in your damaged and hurting world, bring your peace. We think of families and friends of the students in Prague killed by gunmen. Violence suddenly erupting out of nowhere. There is devastation that is caused and a reminder of just how vulnerable we are, how brief life can be. Lord, you came to be the saviour of the world. If you can't meet people in that situation and be their saviour and Lord, what can you do? So we pray that you would do that you would come alongside to comfort and strengthen and heal and bring peace. Eternal God, in your damaged and hurting world, bring your peace. We pray for our fragile and hurting earth. That amidst the consumerism of this time, where so much is spent on stuff that has no lasting value, where people are encouraged to go into debt to pay for things they cannot afford and do not really want. Lord, instill within our hearts the values that matter, love, respect, faithfulness, mercy, care for others, kindness. Eternal God, in your damaged and hurting world, bring your peace. We want to pray for those who are separated from families at this time. We pray for those who are in hospital, those awaiting treatment, those who are elderly and frail. those who face this Christmas in homes that they can't afford to heat. We think of the new increasing numbers of people 
were admitted to hospital with conditions that are the direct result of poverty. And Lord, we pray that you would draw us together to care for each other, to support each other, to be there for one another, to express your love in terms of our relationships with one another. Eternal God, in your damaged and hurting world, bring your peace. And Lord, as we listen to the stories again of Jesus and we, we look for fresh ways of telling them and sharing them and understanding them, we pray for ourselves as your church that we would be people who honour your son, who model our lives on his, who bring the good news of peace and love and forgiveness into the hearts of others and into their situations. Lord, in us and through us, eternal God, in your damaged and hurting world, bring your peace. We pray it in Jesus' name. seem to have heard it every day for as long as I can remember, the past week or so, so I'm going to give you a monologue instead, as it were, by a shepherd, something based on a, a monologue written by Ian Green. My name's Dan, I've been a Bethlehem shepherd ever since my Belitzvah, it's the only life I've ever known. And us shepherds, well, we're a predictable lot. When you work with animals and seasons, you tend to get into a routine. That night you Christians talk about, the night that changed my life forever, we're on the hills at the height of the Roman occupation of our country. That's when it happened. I'm an old man now. I rarely go up to the hills these days, but I remember that night as if it were yesterday. We seem to be at the centre of it all, and yet that's not, not really us at all. Usually we live away from the action. We can be away from the village for days or even weeks. It's as if we live in the background. Just remembered by our families, but forgotten by shopkeepers, merchants, and the civic authorities. It's not just that we've become village outsiders. We're temple outsiders too. As priests, they'll buy our lambs from us at rock-bottom prices, but they treat us like dirt. Of them, we to think, that God gave us ringside seats at the birth of his beloved son. Suddenly, that night, we became insiders. And from what I heard of Jesus later, that seemed to me to be part of his message, that God draws us all in. Draws us to his love. Makes us feel as if we belong. No longer outsiders. That message to us, to you, is born this day in the city of David, a saviour who is Christ the Lord to us, the nobodies, people who didn't count, the people who have forgotten, the outsiders. For us, this child was born. And it all happened so quickly. We, we weren't being religious that night. We weren't even praying, just going about our ordinary jobs. Somehow I always used to think you had to meet God in synagogue or on Shabbat, but that night we were just working. It was so ordinary. We just finished making sure that one of our sheep had been having trouble safely delivered her young, and then there was this piercing bright light, blinding. But then it became the warmest, 
anything imaginable. And we were told not to be afraid. We were told the promised one had been born. There was the most joyful singing in the air. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace with everyone on whom his favour rests. You might ask me if I was dreaming. <laughs> no. This was the most real thing I'd ever experienced in my life. And it still thrills me, really. That announcement to us, as we read about our Every Night Lives. When your country has a new king, the heralds stand on the balcony of palaces and they proclaim the start of a new reign. But that night, the herald angels chose to announce the news to us. As Jesus came for everyone, just as God's love is for all. So why not announce the incarnation to shepherds on a hillside? I smile at the audacity of God bypassing the priests and the religious authorities and choosing me and my mates. Then his angels asked us to go down to the village and worship. We didn't even have time to wash. We went as we were, grown men. Knowing more about lambs and babies, really, but off we went. We ran down to Bethlehem. And it was as if we were guided to that family and the place where Jesus had been born. We went round the back and looked in, and Joseph asked us if we'd like to come in. And there he was, this baby, wrapped up warm and lying in a feeding trough. And his mother, exhausted but blissfully happy, it was a scene, scene full of love and hope. The words of the angels rang in our ears, this birth was special. God was blessing the world with this child. And as I look back now, the thing that strikes me most of all is we didn't have to do or anything or say anything. We went just as we were. But it was our privilege to welcome this child. We were welcoming God from our arms. So we knelt. We bowed our heads. We, we touched his head. We smiled at Mary. We shook Joseph's hand. And we walked back up the hillside in a shared silence that went so deep. We'd seen the saviour of the world. Nothing would ever be the same. See amid the winter's
In a moment, you're invited to share communion, bread and wine representing the, the body and blood of Jesus. You remember in this communion service, the word becoming flesh, God taking human flesh and blood, becoming one of us, one with us. My third meditation is written by J.C. Ryle, Bishop of Liverpool, back in the 19th century on the Incarnation. I make no apology for using somebody else's words. Sometimes you read something and it says what you want to say better than you could say it yourself. So these are his reflections on John, chapter 1, where John tells us that the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And the plain meaning of these words is that our divine Saviour really took human nature upon him in order to save sinners. He really became a man like ourselves in all things, sin only excepted. Like ourselves, he was born of a woman, though born in a miraculous manner. Like ourselves, he grew from infancy to boyhood, and from boyhood to man's estate, both in wisdom and in stature. Like ourselves, he hungered, thirsted, ate, drank, slept, was weary, felt pain, wept, rejoiced, marveled, was moved to anger and compassion. Having become flesh and taken a body, he prayed, read the scriptures, suffered, being tempted, and submitted his human will to the will of God the Father. And finally, in the same body, he really suffered and shed his blood, really died, was really buried, really rose again, and really ascended up into heaven. And yet all this time, he was God as well as man. And this union of two natures in Christ, one person, is doubtless one of the greatest mysteries of the Christian religion. It needs to be carefully stated. It's one of those great truths which are not meant to be curiously pried into, but to be reverently believed. Nowhere, perhaps, shall we find a more wise and judicious statement than the second article of the Church of England. The Son, who is the Word of the Father, begotten from everlasting of the Father, the very and eternal God, and of one substance with the Father, took man's nature in the womb of the Blessed Virgin of her substance. So that the whole two imperfect natures, that is to say the Godhead and the manhood, were joined together in one person, never to be divided, were of as one Christ, truly God and truly man. This constant, undivided union of two perfect natures in Christ's person is exactly that which gives infinite quality, infinite value to his mediation. Qualifies him to be the very mediator that sinners need. Our mediator is one who can sympathize with us because he's very man. And yet at the same time, he's one who can deal with the Father for us on equal terms because he's very God. Did the Word become flesh? Then he is one who can be touched with the feeling of his people's infirmities because he suffered himself being tempted. 
He's almighty because he's God and yet he can sympathize with us because he's man. Did the word become flesh? Then he can supply us with a perfect pattern and example for our daily life. Had he walked among us as an angel or a spirit, we could never have copied him. But had he dwelt among us as a man, we know that true standard of holiness is to walk even as he walked. He's a perfect pattern because he's God. But he's also a pattern exactly suited to our needs because he's man. And finally, did the word become flesh? Then let us see in our mortal bodies a real, true dignity. And not defile them by sin. Vile and weak as our body may seem, it is a body which the eternal Son of God was not ashamed to take upon himself and to take up to heaven. That simple fact is a pledge that he will raise our bodies at the last day and glorify them together in his own self. The word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory. Glories of the only begotten of the Father full of grace and truth. We celebrate that truth as we share together in bread and wine in a moment. But first, Christians awake so that it's a happy morn, because it's just gone midnight. Take a moment to wish each other a very happy Christmas. Don't wish so much. Christmas is over. Christians awake, so it's a happy morning.
Christ, one with us. One with us in flesh and blood. To redeem our flesh and blood. To present us before the Father, forgiven, loved, accepted, holy. In Christ we are brought from death to life. He becomes one with us so that we might be one with him. Lord Jesus, thank you that you didn't turn away from us. You embraced our human condition, our weakness, our frailty, you know what it is to be tempted. You know what it is to suffer. You know the whole range of human emotions. You even know what it's like to die. Thank you that you understand us perfectly. And we can trust you perfectly. Thank you for the mystery of your incarnation. The word becoming flesh. God becoming The Lord of the universe becoming a tiny little baby. And it might defy our comprehension. But thank you that we can simply put our trust in you. And you receive us with our questions, with our doubts, with our sins. You accept us, you welcome us, you forgive us. Thank you for that grace. And thank you for this bread and wine and all that they mean to us. We bless you, Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Jesus welcomes you to this table tonight. Doesn't matter whether your faith is strong or weak, if whatever faith you've got really can be put in him, he welcomes you. If you'd rather not take the bread and wine because it means nothing to you, just let it go by. Don't be embarrassed about that. But if, if you're here to celebrate the death of Jesus tonight for you, and you put your trust in him to bring you to God, to forgive you, to love you, to give you life, then this bread and wine for you, for Jesus Christ for you. And from here we invite you to express what faith you have by eating, and drinking, not with words, but just receiving his love and grace into your heart afresh as you receive the bread and the wine. Because Christ came for you when you fall in, in that stable and dark world. And we do this because on the night in which he died, before he died, Jesus took bread and broke it and said, This, this is my body. And it's for you. Do this as often as you eat it in memory of me. So this bread represents the body of Christ given to you, broken for you. God's free gift of grace. Receive it as such. Receive Christ, his grace and his love in the bread and eat with glad and grateful hearts because the body of Christ given to you in full with Christ.
why didn't you, Jesus, take the cup and when you've given thanks, you gave it to them and said, drink this all of you. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This is poured out for you. The blood has been forgiven us, binds us in an eternal relationship with God, changes life, changes cleansing, changes redemption. Christ died that we might live. His blood was poured out for us. And he invites us to express our faith in that and our gratitude to him for it by sharing in this cup, sharing in this wine which represents the blood that seals the covenant between us and God for eternity. God says, you are my people. I am your God. Whatever you've done, it's gone. Erased from the record. You will know me, each one of you, for yourself. I will write my law on your hearts. For the blood of Christ was given for you. And he invites you to receive the wine. And we keep the cup so that we can drink together as a sign of our fellowship. Christ gave his life for you. Christ shares his life with you. Thanks be to God. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your grace which covers the past, which secures our future, which means that right here and now you're with us as our Lord and Saviour. We commend ourselves to you, to your love, to your care, to your faithfulness. And we put our trust in you, because you have loved us and you gave yourself. Amen. Let's sing our closing carol, O Little Town of Bethlehem. Still we see you now.
Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. As we leave this place, let us be confident of your presence with us and commit to trusting you ever more deeply today, this Christmas, over the coming year and always. 